0: Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett and Dan Murphy. Hello everyone, and welcome to this bronze medal edition of LaRouge Rugby. My name is Dan Murphy, and alongside me is... The wonderful, the fantastic, Derek Brissett. Derek, it was quite the interesting weekend of rugby between mm-hmm. you know Major League Rugby, Canada Sevens, and uh you Dash and a little bit of uh Six Nations. It was it was quite the eventful weekend for us to uh, take part and watch some good rugby.
1: Did something uh like noteworthy um happen during the Six Nations or um like I feel like Joe Marler did something, but I haven't heard anybody talk about it at all over the last four days.
0: I, I didn't, I didn't see it that part of the game. Cause I, I think I had to run, run around somewhere with the little one.
1: Have you, have uh, you genuinely then, not seen this?
0: Oh, no, no. I was going to say, I, I saw the video in slow motion.
1: Oh, I thought for a second you were about to say you haven't seen the video of this incident.
0: Oh no, I, I I've seen it. And, and it's, when I saw Joe Marler like say, "No, I didn't do that," I was flabbergasted. I'm like, "Buddy, <laughs> there is clear video proof that you touched the goods. You cannot say you didn't do it." Yeah, um, wow! Well, blows my We mind. shall
1: we shall see how long he is out for. Um, and then you know it's, um, you know the the Canadian seven, uh, the Canadian leg of the uh, World Seven Series. Uh, Went off pretty well. The boys uh, performed marvelously. Um, You know, it was a tough, uh, tough way to end it against Australia there. Uh, Or not that uh, you said called this the uh, the bronze medal edition of the podcast. And we're probably about like barely a fingernail, maybe like I don't even know what I don't even know what word you can describe or which words you can use to describe the minimal amount of distance. Between where Souter grounded that ball and where he needed to ground that ball. But great tournament from the lads. Um, everybody, all Canadian rugby fans, should be proud of that performance. And uh, hopefully we see more of it going forward.
0: Quite the thrilling tournament, quite the thrilling end for, mm-hmm. uh, for Team Canada. You know, it was, it, it's tough to watch that, but for to see the lads go back out there and put an electrifying performance against uh, South Africa was really really uh, a fun to watch and that's where we're going to start uh, this episode is, is talking about the Vancouver sevens and, and before we talk about the players and what they did on the field, Derek, I want to talk about the event you know it was the, the it was voted last, last year in 2019, the most popular. Uh, stop on the tour by the fans and by the athletes and coaches themselves you know my question to you is this the best run tournament on the circuit i know everyone kind of holds hong kong sevens as the standard but you know vancouver has the perfect weather the perfect domed uh stadium for it and it just seems that the crowd is just fired up when they're there you know it's hard to compare, you know, Aust- the Sydney and the Hamilton tournaments when it's blistering heat out, but is that an advantage mm-hmm. for Vancouver? Like, what do you think about this?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think that's, um, like, I don't know. I don't, Like, it's tough to determine, like, the best run tournament. Like, I don't, uh, like, I don't know. I've never seen, like, the behind the scenes of how they actually pull these off. So, um, but at least from, like, the like the visual spectacle of it. I think it's up there. It's really cool. They do a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of really creative stuff. I think, I think the Vancouver leg has the best looking trophy. Um, when, um, for the the champion of the tournament, um, just the, like the the wood carvings and stuff. It looks amazing. Um, and I hope like that's got, that's probably like the standard for like what the trophy should be looking like. Um, and you know, like that they should, uh, get, they should carve out one for like Major League Rugby just make a massive like uh, massive like native artwork trophy for Major League Rugby instead of just the the shield that we currently right. use because um, I think that could be a really cool design if we have it obviously don't make it look too sea wolfy but um, i like <laughs> I'm a big fan of what they do with that trophy there um, uh, but uh, like that's I hope so that's one of the things I think they like uh, people like about it I agree, like I think um, with where it is um, and the time of the year it is, having it in a dome is really nice. I think the one other thing too is like what BC Place can do that helps make the crowd look maybe sometimes even bigger than what it may really be is that they have those things that can come down and cover like the empty sections. So it just kind of looks like an extension of the roof or that the seats don't go all the way around or... Um, as opposed to like you look up in the crowd and you see a level of empty seats. Um, so I think that, like, that's just an amazing design from the stadium because no matter what happens there, it's just everywhere you look, every camera angle that you could possibly show on TV, the stadium looks full, um, which is a great thing for just like the general, your general ability to just market the game. Um, and everything like that, and you know, the crowd was the crowd was unreal um, throughout the tournament too. So, you know, it doesn't—it's no surprise that like players in would. It doesn't surprise me that players would enjoy it, especially when you know you can kind of see like the turnout that it got and just the atmosphere that was surrounding it the entire weekend. Plus, Vancouver—if no—if you haven't been there, it's a phenomenal city. Um, oh yeah, like I've never heard of somebody go go to Vancouver and then complain about it. Um, so it's. You know, it's a wonderful city. Um, wonderful people out in BC as well, and uh, you know they kind of you know it's a very obviously it's a very passionate rugby province, um, and they showed it extremely well on this past weekend.
0: You oh, it was it was just incredible to uh, to see the fans dressing up in their fancy dress. You know, I saw the groups of Miss Piggies. I saw you know the infamous Sasquatches, who in my opinion gave very insightful. Uh, Rugby based opinion, which was very funny to watch, uh, and you know the boys showed it on the on the pitch as well. I mean, they won thirty one to twenty one against France, twenty six to twenty one against C.G., and twenty nine to seven against Wales. And then you know they took care of uh, Spain in the uh, quarter final, twenty one to nothing, blank them, and just barely by the skin of their teeth, yeah, uh, like- lost to Australia but to yeah, come like, back like, you
1: know it was literally like a tenth of a millimeter away from the line like all, all you needed uh, was steel satter's arm to be like a tenth of a millimeter longer and he got that It's and yeah, i it's think kind so of we don't talk, it was a great play i was so excited when i kind of when i saw him make that line break and it was just i can't believe how close like that is the closest anybody has ever got to scoring a try without actually scoring a try and i
0: think one thing that we need to take in consideration about their bronze medal win is that the spring box came in this tournament with tons of confidence. I mean, they just won the LA Sevens tournament. You know, they're the blitz box for a reason, you know, they're, they're one of the best in the world. So to to finish them off 26 and 19 is, is such an incredible accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my question for you, Derek is there's, there's been a couple of players uh, this year and near the end of last year as well, that have, uh, made a transition from the 15th side of Canada's program to join uh, the sevens program. Who have you most enjoyed? And you just mentioned one. uh, Who have you enjoyed most joining the sevens program?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm going to mention him again, um, Souter. Um, I think, you know, he plays a really speedy game. And I think it's just, he seems like he's been able to adapt it really quickly to the sevens game. Um, He's able to, you know, he's, he plays fast, but he's able to also be patient and kind of wait for a hole to open up, somewhat like what he attempted to do on that final play against Australia, and very nearly almost came away with it. Um, obviously, he's as a fullback, he's got great hands. Um, great hands could speak, which you is something that you vitally need in the sevens game. Um, so, like I think he's been adapting well, very nicely. Um, you know, and there's. Not not a whole lot of time left before the Olympics. Um, you know, fingers crossed that the Olympics is still gonna go forward, um, based on, you know, the, the global climate at the moment. Um, but you like so you know there's not a whole lot of time for him to really get it, uh, be able to adjust it before, you know, probably like probably will be one of the biggest uh, sporting events that he ever plays in in his life. And uh, I think uh, so far this series been doing admirably well. And uh, I think he was one of the Canada's best players throughout the uh, Vancouver weekend too.
0: Oh, I, I've also really enjoyed Andrew Cole, but one guy that I've really enjoyed watching, especially this past tournament, was Connor Trainer. You know, to make the mm-hmm. decision to leave his, his pro contract over in France uh, and then to come yeah. back and, you know, might not have had the most effective World Cup uh, that, that he might have wanted. And I know everyone uh, kind of harped on him after uh, some of his mistakes in the uh, game against the States uh, during the uh, Pacific Nations Cup. But uh, mm-hmm. I really liked uh, his his defense in, in this tournament. I really liked how he supported his teammates and some of their uh, – line breaks and uh, I just think that he's got a little bit of a physical presence very similar yeah. to Connor Braid that that I, I enjoy like, watching
1: he looks like he should have been playing sevens for a while
0: yes and he's been part of the program like, before uh, but yeah. uh, it's definitely great to see him be part of the program now and, and part of mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, integration with some of these guys and and not having as much time you know is this Canadian side finally kind of coming into its own? I mean, a lot can be said about, you know, the hometown crowd and the motivations, but really uh, I, the the can- Canadians haven't really done well at the, 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 the yeah. tournament. So what I'm looking into is, is, has this Canadian side finally kind of come into its own now? I mean, the reinforcements are all there, you know, Coe, Souter, uh, Uh, trainer, and also all the injuries that they seem to be having, Justin Douglas, Connor, Braid, uh, you know, they've had those guys start to be healthy as well, so is Canada starting to really rev up now, now that they've got a little bit of confidence, and and should we see more of this type of performance, hopefully, you know, leading up to the Olympics?
1: Uh, I mean, I hope we see more of it. Uh, (laughs) It I think, like you said, I think, like you know part of it is is that you know sevens and fifteens, obviously um they play under the same rules other than the amount of people on the pitch, um, and then they like the skills are the same, this a lot of the skills are the same, and but like the strategy is so different um that I feel like it takes a while to adjust to that, and the only way you can really adjust to that is just to get thrown on a pitch and kind of like sort of you have to sort of fend for yourself and kind of figure it out and i think that takes time and i think that's also why you know the canadian men's side has kind of struggled um with sevens in the past is because we've constantly had guys going back and forth between back and forth our, between our 15s and seven side um and you know they would go from you know and like they would go from Especially a guy like Nate Hiriyama when he did it. It's like, I remember like when he was playing 15s, he made a lot of plays um, that were kind of like, that's not a good play in 15s, but you just came from sevens like a month ago, and that would have been a great play in sevens, but you forgot about the three other guys that are there now. Um, and that's, and it, like, so you can kind of see that. And I think with how many guys constantly went back and forth, um, it was just, Always kind of just like constantly dealing with that issue um, of, you know, a gut instinct being something that you should do in, you know... Uh, 15s versus something that you should be doing in 7s or the other way around. Um, and, you know, that could lead to mistakes and things like that on the pitch. Um, but now it's, you, you know, now it's a lot more, there's a lot of guys that are playing 7s exclusively, and there's a lot of guys that are playing 15s exclusively. Um, and then there's, this, you know, we're down to not that I have an issue with guys doing that if that's what they want to do. Like I'm not I don't have an issue with what like Co and Sodder or Trainer are doing, but it's I I do I do think that in doing things like that, also kind of it's it's an adjustment. It takes time to get used to it. So that's why you kind of maybe maybe you see some of these slow starts at the turn in the tournaments. Um they they look they looked great this weekend though. And I hope, you know, it is good to see it's like those guys are all playing very well. Um, and it's great to see that they are looking like they're gelling as a team. I think this weekend they showed that, you know, they're capable of winning a tournament on the seven series. Hopefully they decide that that tournament's going to be the Olympics because that would be amazing. Um, but it's like, I don't think, you know, it's one of those things, right? Where it's like, you know, it's like the, it's kind of the thing though that I think, is where it separates the great teams on the seven series and like the good teams on the seven series where it's like Canada's maybe in that realm of they're just a good team where it's like, you know, every, like, like every, like four, maybe five tournaments, they'll find a way to podium. Right. But then you have countries like New Zealand, um, South Africa, Australia um that'll just kind of uh, fiji uh even the united states that'll be like we're gonna be in the podium or at the very least the top five in you know tournament after tournament after tournament we don't even know what the you know like you know what when they did like all the uh, you know the bowl and the plate finals and stuff like they don't even know what those are because they've never seen them um and you know it'll be uh, and I think like that's kind of the step that Canada still needs to take that they haven't done yet. It's just like they're they're at that stage where it's like you can, they can win one tournament on any given weekend, but it's like they can't do it like you know two, three, four, five tournaments in a row yet so it's just a matter of hopefully you know when it for the Olympics it's like they could win it, but um you know it's like they hopefully they that's the spot that they pick to uh, get their podium tournament.
2: Just in
0: some perspective too about this team is they've got one, two, three guys over the age of mm-hmm. 30, uh, yeah. you know, Connor breaks 29. So he's pretty close, but you know, mm-hmm. their youngest guy, is Jake Thiel at 22. And I mean, the guys mm-hmm. who really performed this week, you know, Isaac K 26, Dustin Douglas mm-hmm. 25. Theo Sauter, 23. Andrew Coe, 23. Even Mike Filofau is 27. Like, this is still a pretty young team that, all things considered, mm-hmm. I mean, barring maybe Harry Jones and Nate Hariyama, which are two amazing players, world-class Hall of Famer players and sevens, you know, this yeah, is, yeah. Gen- group genuinely. can still compete together. So it, 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 it's going to be interesting to see what these next couple of tournaments look like for Canada. Now, Derek, this is, this is, I'm going to hurt you a little bit. I'm going to hurt you because I'm going to ask you, what hurt more? Which ending hurt more? And, and I think these endings both hurt for different reasons. Which hurt more? The semifinal final mm-hmm. against Australia where Theo Sauter just barely didn't get his try? Or the okay. Arrows final against Colorado where they were pressuring and then the little quote-unquote controversy about the 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 refs hand gestures, and then they ended up knocking the ball on, anyways.
1: Um, I mean, it's gotta be it's gotta be the uh, Theo solder coming just shy of the line versus Australia. I think it's, you know, just because of the stage of what that game was. It was the, you know, it's a semifinal. It's the home tournament. Um, it's been the best Canada has played all year by far. Um, you know, it, the crowd was going nuts. It's a big moment. The arrows lost the fifth game of the M.L.R. season against a non-conference opponent. I mean, I would like to. I mean, I would like to see them go undefeated, but it's unrealistic. A un, un, loss was coming at some point, and you know, if if you're gonna lose, lose to teams in the other division where that doesn't impact your playoff standing as much as losing to a division opponent would.
0: That's a good point. And I, I agree with you. I, I think that anyone that would try to say the other one was more hurtful is, is crazy. Um, yeah. I was just, I want to you know hear that, the
1: argument that you're ups, more upset about the arrows loss. I just, you I know, wanna,
0: when I, I, I wrote, hear it. Uh, there is no argument. I, I just needed another point to, to have this point in transition with, because now we are going to move on from the sevens. We are going to mm. talk about the arrows. Uh, we do. I do have to apologize to everyone. You know, unfortunately, Derek and I tried to record at the beginning of the week, uh, and I was ill last week. But uh, so we missed two games um, last week, or I guess two weeks ago. The arrows went down to Georgia and pulled out mm-hmm. a uh, impressive win over Rugby ATL. It was very, very close up until the end, uh, and then. Over this past weekend, they've suffered their first loss against Colorado 22 to
2: 19. Now,
0: Derek, in certain ways, both games kind of started uh, very similarly. You know, uh, penalty troubles caused uh, both rugby ATL, with uh, Coleman kind of kicking both those uh, converts to kind of put them ahead going to half. Mm-hmm. And, and Colorado just seemed to control the scoreboard in the first half because of all the penalties that uh, Toronto kept on giving up, and not even just penalties, ball handling errors. Um, This Mm isn't even coincidental. Like, you know, the second game, you definitely can take add a little bit of the problem with fatigue because, really, this is – they are on the road for a long time, away from home cooking, probably pretty beat up from that rugby ACL game. I know that, you know, the captain wasn't playing for that reason. So there are definitely factors that lead into it.
1: Rugby, rugby ATL is a physical team man. like that, uh, you know, even coming up with like there's their rugby ATL is one of those teams where it's like, even if you, even if you get a win off of them or whatever, you will feel it the next morning and potentially regret your decision to actually try to win that rugby game, um, which is a great way to play rugby. Um, you know, if you can get opponents uh, second guessing what they're gonna do, you know, being a little afraid to uh, get hits, I think uh, rugby ATL will be all right if they kind of keep bringing the uh, the physicality to uh, to their
3: opponents in future MLR matches.
0: You know what that that was uh, that was the arrows uh, book for years and uh, for years I should say for for last season, and it continues to be their thing. So. The, the comparison between rugby ATL and the Aeros will continue to happen for these reasons just because of how well, so similarly we, they played.
1: Just to let you know, we are in year two. You can use the plural term for year now.
2: I know, two but is, it's really only been a calendar
0: year in terms of... It's true. You're true, but it two hasn't been plural. a full two years yet. No. So, when we get to that point, then I will say, yes, at the end of this season, we've had years but uh All right. you know it was one thing that we did notice in both games is the scrum continued to be a platform from the arrows offense and it continues mm-hmm. to be uh dominant they they did see a lot more co- uh competition compared to their games against um the you know the the texan teams so it is interesting to see that uh layout especially when, um Everyone kind of came mm-hmm. into. It always seems that everyone talks about dominant scrums. As uh, I was watching a little bit of the Texas Derby, and they always talked about Houston's got the best scrum in rugby. And I was shaking my head, saying there's a little bit of a <laughs> uh, state bias. But uh, it really was on display for both in both these games, Derek.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think you know sometimes commentators say things. I genuinely think it's just like. You know they're they're doing their job trying to hype up the home team, and um, it's not that Houston Houston doesn't have a bad scrum by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I would not give them the nod of the best scrum in the league personally. Um To me, I still think it's the arrows until I really see a team actually beat them, um, which I haven't seen yet this uh, so far this season. Although I do think Colorado kind of handled uh, handled it pretty well. Um, which is probably one of the reasons why Colorado was able to win the game is because the scrum was not not as dominant as it typically is. Um, rugby ATL though, I think uh, they got like the full uh, the full taste of the scrum in the second half. Um, especially, I think you know that that decision to kind of have Quatrone, uh, Rumball, Brower um, all come off the bench um, in the second half. I think. Um, you know, part part of that, obviously a little bit of, you know, resting guys, um, based on the uh, the short turnaround coming up, um, with you know, playing Colorado on the f- following Friday. Um, but once those guys stepped on the pitch, color, um rugby ATL, who was you know doing pretty well in the scrum matchup in the first half, looked like a completely different scrum in the second half, mainly because Toronto just started absolutely steamrolling them. Um and you you kind of see uh, Scott Lawrence was trying to get his other subs on really quickly to try to like, you know, sort of counter the the fresh legs with the other fresh legs. But that didn't really matter. And then, uh, you know, they were able to use the scrum as a platform for all three of their second half tries. And, you know, ultimately, from what they went into the half trailing, it was a, a pretty good contest to kind of kind of. In a way, completely dominating, dominating the second half, and uh, you know, walk, walking away with um, pretty cleanly with a uh,
3: definitive victory.
0: And um, rugby ACL just didn't seem to have any any really big answers once uh, once uh, Taylor Adams. And, and Malcolm started kind of working their magic as well for those set pieces. Yeah. Um, like It was, it was just... a kind of a different story. It was kind of a different story, though, in the Colorado game. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of miscommunication errors, errors, especially off of uh, like the line out between Ferguson and Adams, you know, how many errand passes were, were kind of thrown towards, you know, uh, each other and, and their teammates and, and knocked balls on. And, you know, uh, there, was, there was the penalty, the the penalty that um, Rumball and I'm, I can't remember who else it was, but when when they both tried to go the same line and and the obstruction call was uh, was made? You know, oh, it, it was uh,
1: uh, it was Rumball and De La Vega.
0: Rumball and Delavega. You know it was.
1: Yeah, it was. Quite it was the only interesting. Bad it was the only bad play either one of them made. The entire. Yeah.
0: Now was this chalked up to just team errors, exhaustion, you know, all those different things that we mentioned before, or did Colorado offer a defensive set that fooled the arrows? Because it seemed that their, 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 their line speed off of, you know, uh, off of the breakdown seemed a little bit, uh, kind of caught to the Toronto backline off, off their, you know, kilter.
1: I mean, I don't, I, I, I I don't want to, say like it's tough to be like i don't know i think the way you phrased that question was almost like it's either like the toronto arrows played bad or the uh, colorado's uh defense was great and i think there's um like a little bit it can be both that, that is true yeah it was like it, it's it's a little bit of both i thought uh i liked what colorado did on defense i thought they um you know what they I, I thought what they did made sense it was you know they they as soon as the ball came out they just got off the line as quickly as possible um you know they 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 were fine with letting Malcolm and Adams kick deep knowing that they had you know had guys like Emerson uh, Ryber Cruse and their you know in their outside backs that were able to you know quickly gain some meters back if the ball stayed in play or um you know just with their feet with the um You know, they had uh, I think they had some, you know, some guys up front like, uh, you know, Chad Goff, uh, Luke White um, and uh, Sam Slade, I thought, had an outstanding game from the defensive standpoint um, as well. So, you know, there's there's uh, there's a lot that uh, that um, Colorado's defense did uh, did pretty well throughout that game. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, Sam Slade had a few very nice plays. And most notably, he had that one, uh, that one steal in the lineout, which was outstanding. Um, if you kind of, I'm trying to pull up some of the defensive stats throughout this match here. Just give me one second, please. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the Raptors made 117 tackles. Um, Cody O'Neill led the way with 12. 12- of them uh go uh goff and petzer each had 10 a piece there um so it's like you know they they weren't uh you know i mean like they were not necessarily like they're not putting like none of them were putting up like mind-boggling numbers from the looks of what i'm kind of staring at um same with the the arrows arrows made 105 total tackles rumble della vega cellini on kind of as expected are all are like at the top there uh rumble della vega had outstanding games um, but you know, it's, there, there's a lot of, um, yeah, like there, there was a lot of just their structure was good and they didn't nest. They kind of made the arrows sort of work for everything. I felt, um, you know, they weren't, they didn't necessarily kick the ball back as fast as other teams have this year as well, when they were actually, you know, in possession of it and the arrows defense was holding up very well. Um, you know, they kind of Try to kind of grind it out a few times. I think some of the hits that they made though, were really big. Um, and you know, I think sometimes those could be the ones that kind of like turn, like turn the game around a little bit. Um, for example, like, you know, the first try, the first try started because, uh, Chad Goff lit up Colby Francis and he ended up spilling the ball. Connor cook took it for a bit of a run couple, you know, passes in a phase or so later. And uh Ranger and Ryberg are like waltzing into the corner. Um, you know which is something that you don't necessarily see the Arrows give up as a huge hit in a immediate line break counterattack um but Colorado was able to make that happen and i think that was evidence of just their line speed Chad Goff just, you know got to got to Colby Francis as the ball was arriving which is the perfect time to get to a guy um and it was a great hit and was able to start that play and i think they just did a lot of that all game obviously you know they had a couple goal line stands that they held their shape really well. Um, that one toward the end of the first half after Ranger got that yellow card, which was like a really dumb play. Uh, Um, and I have no idea why he would ever even think of doing that because that's just like, my uh, thing
0: is that he tried to to argue argue it.
1: Um, and, and, uh, but like, I think uh, for, for that reason though, it's, um, you know, it'll be a little bit, uh, uh, like they had the the line sorry, excuse me. They had the line out um, you know, within a close uh close range after for the arrows. They were down to just fourteen guys, and they just held that line until eventually, you know, Sam Slade was able to uh make their, you know, they were able to get the uh, the turnover um because crusade knocked Malcolm into touch and then Slade was able to create a massive line break that ultimately ended with Quatrins yellow. And you know, so that was just um uh, so that was just another way that they they were able to kind of use their defense to sort of you know kind of turn the tide of the game, even if maybe some of the statistical numbers aren't necessarily as mind boggling as far as like tackle totals and things like that are.
0: And uh, you know we've mentioned you it, in your little recap that you mentioned you know two guys a couple times. And in my opinion, I think that they gave the Arrows trouble all throughout the game. Uh, Ranger and uh, mm-hmm. Peltzer, both of them had strong games. And,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, they both have similar styles of play. They're big, they're mobile centers that that both have strong kicking ability. I mean, I'm sure Rene yeah. Ranger was taught at a very young age that if you have the ability to kick it, I mean, he also played wing uh, for, for the All Blacks. So he's, he we know he's got the kicking ability. Um mm-hmm. You know, will this be the the arrows' quote unquote downfall? And again, guys, I'm kind of trying to hype the the worry a bit because it, it is an interesting discussion <laughs> that I had seen people say. Because you know, Detroit and Lesage, and you know, add Spencer Jones into the equation, and and Mitch Richardson, like they're not the biggest centers parents. You know, the, the arrows don't really have yeah. a big bruising center like you know, like Ranger or George mm-hmm. Barton or you know, Bacero, if he ever decides that, that to get his fitness up a little bit and, and play center again, you know, this, <laughs> that they, they don't have those options as much. So would this be something that teams that do have those types of players to kind of target on the defensive line with the arrows?
1: Um, I don't really think so. Um, just, uh, you know, with, with the arrows, like I think the Lassage Lesage, especially have been two of the, better like like people kind of when they think of like you know those guys like ranger or barton as you mentioned it's like all you're talking about is the way they run when they're carrying the ball um right it's just like you'll grab the ball run through you grab the ball run through you um whereas like i think like i detroit and lesage are two of the better like defensive centers in the league and you know it's just they don't always necessarily rack up like the highlight reel plays cause they're not the tight, like they don't have that, like, you know, the, um, like the, I mean, I know he's playing eight right now, but like those back when he was in France, kind of like those Bastaro highlights of him just like r- running over people or, you know, when Nanu would do that, or even when Rangers done it on, uh, even on a few it's Funny, I
0: mentioned, I mentioned all of these bruising runners and I didn't even mention Nanu.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, so I mean, you have Nana, you have Barton, all kind of do the same thing, but like the, but like there's more to like kind of playing rugby than just you know let's just go carry the ball and bash through guys. And I think you know like the defensive ability of Datois and Lasage, um, you know the the arrows are one of the smaller teams in the league, and that's just what they are. That's kind of how they just kind of go about it, and. Like you know, I've been talking about you know in this game, some of the some of the Raptors they laid some pretty big hits on it, and you know like that's not something that you really that's we don't really get a whole lot of highlight real hits from the Toronto Arrows. Um, what we get, I mean, obviously we get them occasionally. Everybody remembers that Mike Shepard hit from last year that was like gift and put on Twitter a hundred times, um, but. Uh, but, like, we don't necessarily get those on, like, a game-by-game basis. But it's, like, what you kind of get, though, is just guys that complete tackles. Um, they have, like, the Arrows have one of the highest tackle percentage in the league as part of what gives them the number one-ranked defense. Um, and, you know, going, like, and that's something, and Detroit and Lesage are a big part of that because they're two of, Detois, Um at least going into this game, I haven't seen the fully updated league-wide stats yet. Um, But going into this game, like, Detroit was, like, the number one ranked back in numerous defensive categories. Um, And that's something that you also, like, would look for. Um, And, you know, even, like, even when you were kind of looking at the Seattle game, you know, we had one of those guys that you were mentioning in, like, you know, George Barton going up against Detroit and Lesage. And name me a great play that George
3: Barton made in that game.
0: That's true. Uh, my, yeah. my point that I, I was more looking for is that, you know, they, they, they attacked with their running presence, but they also attacked with mm-hmm. the hoops, you know, with the kicking. With You know, Ranger made a couple of good grubber kicks yeah. and Peltzer also distributed the, bell, the ball. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, a, a center's pairing, I mean, one of Glendale's best and, and highest qualities about their team and compliments about the teams that they have, one of the most deadliest back lines in the league. So, you know, pairings like Peltzer and Ranger are going to be rare in this league for now. But, I mean, I just think that that's something that if a team like someone we haven't seen yet, like maybe, uh, you know, New England, uh, they've got two uh, pretty uh, impressive uh, uh, centers with them. Or or when they do finally take on San Diego and whatever, you know, three-headed beast or five-headed beast that they, they have planned for them. You know, I think that... It's, it's, it's just a 15 will be interesting. in San Diego. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they decide. It'll be interesting to see what they decide, if that's going to be their point of attack, because it was, in my opinion, again, take that with a grain of salt, everyone, because I am yep. one fan watching rugby. It was the point in which a lot of their actions seem to be coming from in certain points of the game when they're moving the ball effectively. And it could be just, it was just an off game for Lesage and Detroit. And maybe I'm just not looking, I don't have the stats available. So maybe, you know, they they were making more tackles that I was seeing. I just wasn't seeing because, again, like Derek mentioned, they're not making huge, giant, you know, world star hits. They are an effective tackling team. So take that in consideration because I think that is something that is, it should be worth noting. Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, fine. like I said, it was like this this game ultimately was kind of was pretty sloppy from both sides, realistically speaking, um, but yeah, like I think kind of looking at it or whatever, it's like the toile Lesage they didn't make necessarily as many tackles as they are accustomed to in this game. the toile only had seven Lesage only had four um you know the uh there's only three arrows that are in double digits though, um so it would have been Rumball, Rumball, uh, De La Vega, and Chiellini, which, again, just makes sense. Um, but after that, though, the next highest guy is Tatois with his seven. So, you know, it's like he's still, he still, he does reach, like, you know, kind of the upper echelon of certain defensive categories for the Arrows, um, which is why he's one of the higher-ranked defensive packs in the league at the moment. Um, and, you know, in this game, too, it's like he didn't make a ton of tackles, but he had a lot of ruck of rivals, um, especially compared to the rest of his um back teammates um so i mean it's i think it's one of those things where it's like you know if uh if teams have really good centers they're obviously going to try to attack um through the centers and when they have to do that it's like that's just going to be uh you know detroit lesage spencer jones mitch richardson um or even you know dan moore um or whoever else it may end up being um, you know, like you're just gonna have to be the guys that deal with it. Um, I don't necessarily think that's an area of like weakness though. Um, it's just kind of like the one really great thing about rugby is there's no necessarily right or wrong approach to how you play it. Um the strategic element is a big part of what makes this a lot of fun to watch. So um, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see what teams kind of do going forward. Um, but again, like, you know, we kind we kind of look at the one, the one try that started, the one. But if we kind of look at though, like the two tries that they actually scored, one was a counter attack started off by a massive hit from Chad Goff, and it was just the counterattack all the way up the pitch, um, big line breaks, some uh, passes, phases, um, and it was just it just kind of moved constantly. It just went straight up the pitch. The The second right, so there wasn't really any. Even though Ranger and Petzer touched the ball on the play, there wasn't really a we're going to attack the center moment. It was just we're just moving really fast because we're in counter attack mode. And then the second try was Levis dropped the restart. Mika Cruz was the only person that seemed like he decided to to actually want to pick up the ball, and he just jogged into the corner after he picked up the ball. Um, So it's like you know that was just like there wasn't really. Like defensive structural issues, it was a really quick counter attack off a huge hit, and it was a mistake that Cruze picked up and trotted in for a try.
0: Our point is, I mean, not every strong attacking opportunity needs to end in a try, too. So, that's no, that, no, abso- not absolutely I do agree with
1: you, absolutely, yeah, absolutely not. Not obviously, not every good attack opportunity does end in a try, but. If you can still find a way to prevent tries, even if a team did get a good attacking opportunity, you're also not really going to complain about it either, right? So, um, you know, something that you can correct, but it didn't ultimately end up being, like, you know, the biggest possible mistake. I think that is kind of one of the weird things with this game, though, which is why, like, I really don't want Eros fans to be, like, start panicking because we lost to Colorado or anything. It's like the... I mean, I don't think Colorado played that great either. Like I said, it was a sloppy game, but Toronto really didn't play that well. Um and um. they and they were s- still able like they could have won the game um in like in theory they they could have won it. Um, they had chances, they had some uh, you know, there were some penalties that they opted to, you know, kick for touch instead of taking the points that, you know, again, the Colorado defense, they stepped up. I'm not trying to take credit away from them. Um, they stepped up, they did a good job, and you know, they were able to able to um create a turnover or otherwise stop the arrows from scoring on those plays. And, you know, it's just by the end of the 80 minutes, those not that those I think those p- picking to go for touch in those situations was necessarily a bad idea. It's just when it doesn't work, it's one of those things that you kind of go, ah, 2020 vision, like we can pick it apart, but it doesn't make it an actual bad decision to go for it. It's just when it doesn't work, it's like, oh, hey, like there was Colorado's defense showed up. There was some execution. Um, you know what I mean? They had a good execution, but, you know, if you were able to punch in one of those, you know, close range lineup malls, so it's like that. It was a winnable game and the arrows played pretty badly throughout it, which should, which in a weird way is. Like kind of also shows you how good the Toronto Arrows are. That even when they play bad, more, like they're still yes. in the game constantly. Yeah, um, so it's,
0: a, it's relieving. It's relieving to know that the yeah. arrows didn't play well and almost won the game.
1: Yeah, and almost. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. like, you know, that that is what it is there. So it's, it is what it is. They can't. Yeah, it's like you you can we can second guess decisions and stuff all the time, but. Um, you know, I don't really, really want to do that, Or uh, surrounding this game. Um,
0: Derek, uh, I'm trying to whip up uh, some mass hysteria.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, well, it's one of the, like, I feel like the kick for touch versus go to points argument always just comes down to the, like, did it work? And if it worked, good decision. If it didn't work, terrible decision. Um, and you know what Also means,
0: a kick away from this being a tied game too. I mean, like, hmm yeah. Malcolm yeah, missed his exactly. first kick of the game. This would have been a tie game, you know. Ifs and you know, and ifs and buts were candy and nuts, right? So no, uh, Malcolm.
1: Malcolm. Got <laughs> of Pat did he not miss a kick Malcolm, the kick at the beginning of the game. Yeah, uh, Malcolm. I thought that
0: Malcolm. Okay.
3: Malcolm missed one at the beginning of rugby
1: ATL. Okay. Malcolm. Malcolm missed the kick at the beginning of the rugby. He got. He got all of them yeah. in this one, though. Okay.
0: Um, Derek, was, you know, after these two games, we're, we're officially a quarter of the way into this into the season.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Who has been your your quote unquote biggest surprise on this team? You know, we kind of knew with all the new players mm-hmm. coming in what kind of caliber they would be, but really, who has impressed you the most? Because we've got guys like Dan Moore oh. and Lucas Rumbaugh, who've played very well, and that's not a surprise to us. So, who who has stepped up either from last year or a new guy that's really kind of done well that's blown your mind
1: you know i was gonna say um i think there's obviously there's been a handful of new guys that have you know seem to uh have stepped into the uh you know stepped into the blue and white jersey and have handled themselves very well i think i really like taylor adams's game as a fly half i think you know the him and sam malcolm at fullback as a combination work very well um and a big part of that is because uh, i think they stylistically they play different. And, you know, Sam Malcolm's just steady as steady can be from a defensive standpoint, Um, just absolutely outstanding on defense. Um, I don't think, I don't, I feel like fans or media of other teams don't necessarily realize how good Sam Malcolm's defense is. Um, And then, like, you know, the arrows end up playing them. And then, you know, you kind of have this 15 making tackles on every single person, no matter how big they are, Um, which is great to see. Um, and then you know, to combine that with you know um uh Taylor Adams is you know offensive instinct, it's a really great combination makes the arrows backline super dangerous um regardless of all situations um I think you know Thomas della Vega outstanding in the line out, I think he's really settled that down from last year, it's dramatically improved from last year as well um just you know his just the leadership presence and stuff too you can tell like they're much uh, they they seem much more like almost. Just like confident in everything that they do on the pitch, uh, especially in the set pieces now with him there, um, he's so I think you know he he called the lineouts for the Pumas. He's in charge of doing that with the arrows as well, and um, you know, and I think it's it's been working out incredibly well. Um, I think, the, but you know, th- those guys, I think we were kind of like like I knew like we knew Delavega would be a solid player. We knew Deanna would be a solid player. He's been great, and uh, I don't necessarily. Uh, it's tough because it's like this. Sounds like I, I'm. Uh, I'm trying to. I feel like the way I was going to word this was like I was expecting this guy to be bad, um, which isn't necessarily true. But I think I didn't. I didn't expect Cole Keith to be this good this early into the season, and I feel like that's my surprise. It's not that Cole Keith has found this level; it's that he found it by like the second game of the season. And has just absolutely been unreal at prop um, for the Toronto Arrows this year. And if he just keeps getting better and better as each game goes on, he's been a massive reason why this scrum has been dominant. And it's, you know, it's a level that I'm not sure that I've seen him reach yet, um, whether it's with the Arrows or with Canada. And if he can keep improving, um, you know, he's super young, man. He's going to be a scary player. Um, both for the uh, both for the arrows in Major League Rugby and for the Canadian national team, I don't, you know, I think he's, you know, he's going to be looked at as one of the forerunners to, you know, wear that number three jersey, um, you know, for Kingsley Jones uh, this summer as well. And it's, er, and it, it, you know, he's earning every second of it. And I'm just, it's, I, I'm just surprised that he's you know, he got to this level as fast as he did this year. Um, and you know, good for him too. And.
0: Oh, I was going to say cool Keith and I should have written it down and I should have said it gone first. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say, uh, someone that I've been impressed with uh, at least in the last couple of the games. And I mean, I, I know we mm-hmm. talked about his, he got hit and, and the, fumbled the ball and he ended up losing the ball and this try to score. But I've really enjoyed watching Coley Francis, uh, you know, kind of yeah. pull into the, to the, the lock position and, and take over from Mike Shepard. You know, he's made some big hits and you know, when the arrows were really depleted last year, he was someone that the arrows really relied on and he scored, you know, a, a couple of tries. And then when everyone came back from the ARC and Luke, Luke Campbell joined the, the roster and then we mm-hmm. had Jack Naker like a, like a, short time you know he he had a a lovely
1: cup of coffee here yeah yeah uh you
0: know he you know uh colby took his took his lumps and you know rejoined (laughs) the bench and and was it it was a very useful bench player and i think that uh i really enjoyed watching him play and you know he's he's one of those guys that we quote unquote talk with the future of canadian rugby you know we want to develop Mm. strong locks in this in this uh program so
1: yeah, that's exactly what you want the Toronto Arrows to, to be doing, though, is taking these young players, giving them shots in a professional environment. And it's like, you know, I mean, like, you can see, you can take some of these guys and see, like, the difference in, like, like, even, like, we went back to them. All, I'll go back to him already. Cole Keith, like, the difference in Cole Keith's game in, like, 2018 and like, say just like before, you know, the, the just before the, like whatever the last game he would have played before the first Arrows MLR game, go back to that and the amount of improvement that he has made in just like one year of, hey, you can actually be in a full-time professional environment is incredible. And that can be said for a lot of players too. You know, Quatrin was able to take, you know, being in a full-time professional environment and turn it into caps for Canada for the first time. Um, you know, other players were able to maybe... Didn't uh, like Mike Shepard was able to take, you know, getting, um, you know, cut from the ARC team earlier, getting sent home from the ARC team earlier in this earlier in the year, being in that full time professional environment until the next tournament, being one of the best players in Major League Rugby. And then he earned his way back onto the team for the World Cup. Um, and, you know, even kind of looking at like a guy like Mitch Richardson, too who is, you know, and all these guys that are just kind of finishing up um, college now, but now have a um, full-time, you know, professional environment that they can transition from playing their uh, youth sports rugby into, um, you know, the professional environment. And, like, you can see that all of those guys are way better than what they were two years ago before the Arrows existed. And, you know, I think think the biggest, like, one of the things that – I think impresses me the most with this team is you kind of just look at the depth and when you see like you know hey uh Lavis and Miras are out so Johnny Sheridan's going to step in and run for 107 meters on the Houston SaberCats um you know it's like it speaks A lot to what some of the bench guys and what some of the, like, even the guys that are typically not necessarily included on the match day roster, but are fully capable of stepping up and being on that match day roster, even starting, um, you know, basically at like the blink of an eye when they're needed. And a big part of that is just because they're in a professional environment now. And, you know, I think we're going to see big improvements in guys like, uh, Will Kelly, Mitch Richardson, Johnny Sheridan, um, Marcella Wainwright, um, all, and uh, you know, Riley DiNardo and, um, Dylan Youngs, and all of those guys moving forward.
0: I even go, uh, talk about Keith, just very quickly, you know, I would even say on this podcast, so within a calendar year, we talked about Keith's struggles and how he could not usurp uh, yeah. um, that that number three position. You know, he couldn't take it from, 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 no. uh, from Maury anybody, Mitchell. you know, uh, Morgan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Thank you. The name was, <laughs> and he, he had strong competition in the PNC and we were not impressed by
2: mm-hmm.
0: him. And, I even personally thought, you know, this guy's supposed to be the future of rugby and watch him in the ARC when Brazil was just absolutely blowing the, yeah. the scrum aside and he was part of that game, you know. To see him play now is incredible. He has been playing the best rugby of his life and maybe it was going up against some of the top quality in the World Cup yeah. and saying, that is the standard that I need to reach. And then going on from there, I'm, I was really happy with, with yeah, his, the- his uh, performance in the first quarter.
1: Yeah, the, the, his game against Atlanta is the best game I've ever seen him play. And I, 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 would, love, I would love to I hear love to somebody play. mention a different game to me just because I would want to go back and watch it. But um, from what I, I could think of, I think that Atlanta game is the best game Cole Keith has ever played.
0: Let's broaden our horizons a little bit because I'm going to ask you this similar type of question. Um, but we're going to look at the mm-hmm. whole league, uh, Derek, as, as a whole. Mm-hmm. Which Canadian has impressed you the most? You know, a quarter of the way through the season.
1: Hmm. Um. Which? Anyone? I can go first. Uh, are we? Are we going with non-arrow? non-arrows?
0: So I'm saying now. This is this is the league, and I I can go first because I have I have one guy that I I've been really impressed with.
2: All right, go for it.
0: All right. So, my Canadian that I've been really impressed with him, there's been a couple that uh, have really kind of st- stood out for me, but I've been really enjoying watching Doug Fraser play mm-hmm. with Old Glory DC. And, you know, yes, he does been, has been, uh, you know, the beneficiary of some pretty easy tries out to the wings, but I love watching that guy play rugby. He is so aggressive with his running play. And, you know, for a guy his stature, I mean, he's not the tallest guy in. in on the pitch. Um, but he just runs with such, <laughs> you know, disdain for the opposition that mm-hmm. uh, I can't stop, but enjoy watching. And you know what? Uh, if anyone hasn't seen it yet, go online. Uh, Old glory made a gif of one of the moments that they had against rugby ATL in which they won where Doug Fraser is just a freight train running and he is just hitting any, you know, he, he f- pushes one guy down and then takes three other guys with him as he is trying to uh, uh, keep moving. So I've really enjoyed watching him play. Um, another guy that I've also enjoyed watching, um, and he's really kind of been part of the starting lineup for the last couple of weeks because of injuries is Rob Povey with uh, the mm. Utah Warriors. You know, he's covered both fullback and fly half for Utah and he really Played well, in my opinion, against um, Seattle this past weekend. So I really enjoyed watching him play. He's someone that I think the uh, the national program really needs to pay attention to. You know, he he's been overseas for for a couple of years, um, playing with Coventry, and then he was playing with Sale FC for a little bit. Um, And I think that in a country where we had to steal a. Uh, Irish person, Irish uh, player uh, from Ulster who hadn't been playing in about uh, nine, you know, uh, almost a calendar year of professional rugby to play our fly half for the World Cup. I think having Covey as a young fly half is going to be something that we need to pay attention to because he is, I, in my opinion, someone that. Can't take that fly half position and and kind of run with it if he has a good rest of the season and I think this a r c we need to see if he can take that ten jersey because our options are starting to get small with with age
1: uh you know we're we're kind of thin at ten. Um, There's not necessarily a whole lot of options Um, if somebody does have any government connections um, and can convince Trudeau to give uh, you know Sam Malcolm or Taylor Adams a Canadian passport um, that would be amazing but short of that happening um, we you know we got to start we obviously have to look internally for our own solutions here um and you know so seeing guys like like povey being able to step up and you know play that position in major league rugby is great um will kelly is obviously an option for the toronto arrows as well um you know and uh, you know he's i think he's when he's played he's played very well um you know it's just adams is obviously getting the majority of the time fly half
0: you think has been your most impressive community player Derek then?
1: Um well oh, cool. I think I mean Matt Heaton obviously would be up there. You know he's been uh you know he's been a dominant force um for uh, rugby ATL he had a great game against uh, the arrows as well um you could tell like you can really kind of tell just by watching that team like what like you know why they would choose him to be captain. He has an outstanding work rate um makes a lot of really cl- solid big tackles as well you know he's you know able to carry the ball able to you know run effectively with it he's all over the pitch um and you know just has a really great style of play um i think nakai penny's been off to a great start um you know so i guess you know this if you're wearing basically what i'm trying to get at here is if you're wearing a number 7 jersey and you're canadian you're probably having a pretty good uh, start to your year um, so Nakai Penny's up there. Lucas Rumballs had a great year as well. All for a lot. All for a lot of similar reasons. But yeah, the the one guy I kind of want to highlight just because one the Austin Gilgronis won a rugby game, and I feel like it has taken our podcast far too long to recognize that this event happened on the weekend, and I feel like we should do that now. Um, do you have anything to say about the Austin Gugroni victory before I go on with my point here?
0: I do. It's not so much about the game because I'm happy because I I picked them to win. So I'm very happy about
1: that. You didn't pick them to win. I used an Instagram filter that chose the Houston SaberCats, and you were just no, like, just no, do no, 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 that. no, no.
0: I picked them to win. Um, but I saw a lot of people making a stink about them having a white jersey and for their away kit. Uh, I need to people remind people that this is still a North American league, and it is pretty common, if not absolutely common, for every sport to have an away kit that is white. I get that okay.
2: it's,
0: there's not a lot of originality so, to it, but it's not nah. absolutely outrageous. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I know that the white on white numbers is less than ideal.
1: That was but terrible. I think that people
0: are. It's terrible, but I think people are making mountains out of molehills in that situation. That yeah. sense.
1: That's that. Yeah, yeah. If I don't like. We team. should. I'm not here to complain about their kit. Um, the white on white numbers is horrible, and I feel like, as like maybe crumudgeony as this sounds, the league has to do something about this. Um, them and Nola, you genuinely cannot read their numbers on a TV screen. No. like it's like, like I don't even like. I honestly, I haven't seen either. I haven't seen either Austin or Nola. Um, I wrote oh, sort of Austin and Noah wear these jerseys in person this year yet. Um, and I was in Vegas, Austin wore the orange. So that's what I got to see. Um, but like, and we'll get to see Nola come up here, but, um, like on TV, they're like, they're like you, they might as well just be wearing like blank jerseys. Cause it makes no difference to me what the actual number on the back says, because you can't see it 90% of the time anyways. Um, but uh, do, were people actually complaining that the kit was just white? Like, I didn't see, I didn't see that.
0: Uh, like, there was a couple people on, on, on Reddit, and I saw a couple people tweeting about it, but the, the people that were tweeting about it uh, are definitely UK uh, expats, so might not be as used to the idea of everybody has a white kit for their away kit. Like, that's just yeah, – like, Yeah. It's how it's done, I, hockey, football – like soccer might be the, the the difference, and but basketball is like it too. So it's all the major sports have a white away kit.
1: Yeah, I think so. Like at least in Canada, anyways. Like the so white, like white kits for one. For every team having a white kit. It started with black and white TV, right? Because you couldn't tell the difference between the two teams on a black and white TV. Um, so I feel like it's one of those things that's just a really long-standing tradition, even though you don't necessarily need it for its original practical purpose. Um, of course, the biggest sport in hockey when black and white TV started started out and was becoming a thing was obviously hockey. And like it, it it's kind of fun how like interesting how TV can lead to sport innovations um as well, because the biggest thing that happened um, when they started broadcasting, you know, t- television broadcasts of like Hockey Night in Canada, and filming the games, um, was that you couldn't see the puck because on a black and white TV, you have a black puck, and then you would have the clear ice with like the concrete or whatever it is under, or whatever it would be at the time underneath the ice. So it was just black on like a black surface essentially on TV. So that's why the NHL started painting the ice white too. Um, so it's just everything everything in North American sports was essentially done just to look good on TV. Um and you know, and I think that's just I think and I think that's the thing that is wrong with the jerseys. It's not that they're white, it's just they look terrible on TV, um, with the white on white numbers. Um I, but I mean I, I'm I think white jerseys, in my opinion, should be kind of like I think I personally prefer I think teams should kind of go with whatever they want to do. I'm not going to harp on a team if they go with a white jersey. I think, though, the thing that I don't necessarily like is just kind of like, I don't know if we necessarily need home and away designated jersey for rugby. Whatever. It's like, yeah, like if, you know, if you want, if Austin wanted to go to Houston and wear their orange jersey, why not? Because black and orange look completely different. Just have, as long as you have that communication um beforehand so you know what uh before the team travels you can know what color they're wearing and you can bring a kit that's a different color than what the other team is going to wear um then so be it i think one of the things that comes up though is that you as we discussed before there's a lot of blue teams and there's a lot of red teams and um in the league so there's some similar color it, combinations it, fits, going it, it makes
0: it makes it easier <laughs> it, makes it, it makes it definitely like yeah, consistent it it right like you know that if you're the away team you have to wear white Anyway, we, we, are, we are traveling down a tangent road because... A tangent, uh,
1: yes. All right, so you know who looked really good going. in that... You know who looked really good in that white jersey with white numbers? Um, who was it, Derek? Mo, um, Ab- um, Mo has been outstanding this year. I feel like he's like one of those players that's just... You know, he kind of is like... He plays for Austin. Um, So I don't think people really necessarily watch them that much because you know obviously even last year it was like it's a winless team right like um and so but like and he going into this weekend he led the league in breakdown steals um he didn't have another breakdown steal in this game but he um led the Austin Gilgronis in tackles um in their winning efforts um he also had Uh, sorry, I'm just going to scroll down to his full line instead of his, you know, just the highlights as well here, you know, he had uh, 16 meters carried, which is pretty, you know, pretty solid. Um, but he also, he also had 20 ruck arrivals, um, throughout the match. Like I said, he didn't have a steal, but I'm not sure if he still leads the league, but he did lead the league going into the weekend. Um, and you know, just. Which is something that he is like actually you know really good at. He just has this sort of uncanny ability to make a tackle and get over the ball really quick. Um, and I feel like it's you know it's again, it's just it's it's one of those things where him as a player, I think is just maybe he's just a little underrated because he plays for Austin um, and you know doesn't get talked about necessarily as much, you know. Some of the other guys we mentioned, like Matt Heaton, Nakai Penny, you know, they're the guys that, like, you know, people will, you know, when they see that they're they're not necessarily on the, you know, on, like, Kingsley Jones' list for whatever national tournament is coming up, everybody kind of starts freaking out about them. And, you know, sometimes I kind of, like, look at, you know, we'll watch a game or, like, look at some of the, the Austin stat lines that come up throughout the year and kind of, like, look through what Mo has done. And I'm just kind of like... You know, it's kind of leaves me scratching his head. Why I feel like more people should be talking about his game.
0: I think that's a great point, and the the, the flanker positions for you know the mm. ARC and, and beyond is going to be a highly contested battle, and it, it is it's, going to be it's, scary it's, to see anyone compete against those those spots for mm. uh, against Canada. In, in in Canadian rugby news, Derek. Uh, a big, big cross-code announcement in signing. Quintinowati has signed with the Toronto Wolfpack once again. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Wolfpack are getting a different player than they had uh, when he last played for them. You know, he's been busy. He's been playing with the, the Pacific Pride. He's been playing in the under-20s. And he's also been training a little bit with the Canada 7s. So this is, a, this is a big little announcement for the Wolfpack who are in desperate need of some players.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's definitely been uh, been some rough times for the Wolfpack uh, throughout the year. Um, they obviously have a That's ton bad. of salary cap problems, and uh, maybe even potentially some you know actual money problems. Um, Quinn Nawadi, you know, as like because it's like looking at the the way that this this deal is kind of coming in. Um, so Nawadi signed today, but they also, um, however you want to take the terms, mutually agreed to depart ways um, with Gary Wheeler um which doesn't necessarily sound like it like necessarily like a guy being cut or released but potentially just like a we need to save some money um obviously there's a player um uh tony uh Gigot that's playing for free because i guess he's mother teresa i'm not really sure why um but um, so, I mean, obviously there's the, the the Wolfpack have a lot of reasons to be excited about the one, the rule getting passed to actually allow them to do this. Um, and two to you know, to be able to, um, get Quinn to come back, um, for rugby union, it kind of, you know, it kind of stings a little bit, but, um, you know, as, uh, as, as like, you know, it seems, um, his teammates, are uh, all very supportive, obviously on every social media platform that you can find um announcing it um which is great to see um it'll be it'll be interesting to see kind of what they end up using them for um i think there is some plans to not maybe have not necessarily have them start with the wolf pack yesterday but have them uh, right away but have them go to uh, rochdale um and kind of start there um but um i think the big thing the big question to me um as far as if how much this will really benefit the wolf pack right away um, because their biggest thing is that they, they need bodies on their roster and you know, with, with Nawati signing, but Gary Wheeler also leaving. So the number of bodies on the roster is the exact same as it was before yesterday. Um, you know, the day before yesterday as it is now. Um, so that's a bit of an interest. So it's like, I'm not really so sure where that goes. Um but also obviously, w- w- what the Wolfpack have been learning with Sonny Bill so far, which I don't think they were really surprised by, but transitioning from union to league or league to union or you know back and forth a few times is a difficult task to do. There's a lot of new things you gotta get used to um and you know it's Sonny Bill you know it's taken you know six games and he still doesn't necessarily look like he's completely settled into it um still, you know there's a lot of mistakes happening. Um, and you know, Quinn Nawadi's not anywhere near as good of a player as Sonny Bill Williams is. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting to see what, like what how this actually ends up playing out. Also, how much he actually ends up playing for um, the Wolfpack as the season goes on. But they are in injury trouble, so it's
2: definitely not out of the question.
0: And uh, moving back to Union. Uh, one of the stalwarts from previous world cups and uh was kind of one of the last guys that really was part of Canada's success uh, internationally yeah. uh Matt Evans retires you know started mm-hmm. his test career in 2008 39 caps uh played with the Cornish Pirates for for years has officially announced his retirement from professional rugby and is moving on to a management uh position with with the pirates so we wanted to <laughs> congratulate him on a successful career you know uh i first really when i first came into rugby he was still one of the major players for canada so to see him kind of move on to greener pastures is always uh, bittersweet but i'm happy that uh, he's found a home and our last mm-hmm. little bit of news
1: uh, and uh, yeah, I just want to add one thing to that. It's great to see, like, you know, uh, on like an English, a professional English team being willing to, uh, you know, take a Canadian player on and, you know, their like their rugby operation staff and stuff. Because we need a lot more, you know, it's like we need to develop a lot of Canadian talent for like the on-field play, but we need a lot of Canadian talent being developed for all the off-field aspects of running a rugby team, whether it be the coaching or different managerial areas um of all the you know what happens for the team off the field um so to see more guys being able to you know f- grow into and find roles in that manner is also a great thing for you know the future of rugby canada going forward
0: last little bit of keen rugby news is it, a very interesting one and derek and i kind of talked about this off off recording about how we think it's a great idea um Rugby Canada has announced that in Vancouver on Halloween weekend they are starting a Halloween weekend uh, tradition and they're calling it the inaugural Halloween Rugby weekend. The uh, New Zealand All Blacks 15s will be taking on Fiji Rugby and then the US and Canada will also be facing off. Uh, This is an exciting uh, idea and and we talked about the success about uh, Canada 7 so Derek, we think that this might be a very interesting event. Uh, why is that?
1: Yeah, I mean, man, I'm I'm excited for it. It is uh, you know, um obviously, you know, the big the big thing from this that came to was the announcement of the All Blacks 15 being a team. Um so they're bringing on another uh men men's high performance squad. So um, that country literally just pumps out elite rugby teams. Um, it is amazing for a entire nation that its population is smaller than Toronto. So, um, and it, so I'm, I'm very curious to see, you know, what the, the rules for how you can qualify for the 15 will ultimately end up playing out. Um, and then to see what kind of squad they actually bring over here, um, Fiji is a very exciting team to watch, so getting another chance to see them live in Canada is always great. Um, you know, if you watch the uh the Vancouver Sevens, a lot of Fijian people in the crowd. Um, the Fijians always bring great atmosphere to any rugby event, um, wherever they are in the world. Um, super super fun group of people to uh just enjoy some rugby with. Um, so any game that involves Fiji, I am all for it. Um, and you know, if it's I like the idea. Um, You said they were calling this the inaugural Halloween rugby weekend, correct?
0: In the press release, that's what they said.
1: In the press release? Yeah, perfect. Um, Do, like, yeah, try to do things like this. I think if you're, like, if you're Rugby Canada, it's, like, I think that's, like, that's kind of one of the things I think we got to do to kind of get, um, you know, to kind of bring rugby into being a more of a mainstream sport in our country, is you know, kind of create things like, like actual you know traditions that are, well, I guess they wouldn't be longstanding at this point, but you can look at other sports and there's like there's just those like little small long-standing traditions that are maybe not necessarily anything necessarily more important about the game but it's just because of the day the game is on it becomes a super big deal um like for example you know like the labor day the labor day uh, football game between hamilton and the argos um is always a big deal um just because the two teams hate each other and you're playing on labor day and that's what makes it a big deal um, and I think it would be great to see like Rugby can kind of start to see how we can actually like, you know, start to build some of these um, some of these traditions or some of these rivalries um, and build them up. And, you know, if we have. Uh, if we have something that's like, yeah, cool, we're going to play, you know, every year Halloween, we're playing Team USA. Like we can like we can turn that into a thing and make it and hopefully maybe make it like, yeah, if you're a rugby, like, you know, NBA is going to play Chris, Uh, you know, games on Christmas. So we can open our gifts and, you know, watch LeBron James dunk on some guys. Um, And then that's amazing. But maybe it'd be like, all right, sweet, let's go. You, you can make your tradition. It's like, all right, I'm going to go take. My kid out, we're gonna, you know, do trick-or-treats. So I'm gonna come back to the house, we're gonna open candy, and we're gonna watch Canada, you know, beat down the Eagles for the next two hours. Um, and you know, that could be a great thing that brings our country together on Halloween. So I'm excited for
0: community. it. National yeah, Unity exactly. through Halloween candy and rugby. Yeah. I like it. I like
1: yeah. the plan. What what could be better than watching Team Canada beat Team USA with a giant oversized chocolate bar? Or like a massive, oversized, you know, bowl of Skittles or something. I don't know. I don't know what could be better.
0: Had me with Skittles. You won me over with Skittles. The chocolate. Remember, I was iffy yeah. on, but it got me back with the Skittles. So I'm some glad that you went that Some, some all
1: dressed chips, Mars bars.
0: Oh, oh, all yeah. dressed. Ah, oh, you got me there. Okay. Right, exactly. so Americans will begin- never
1: understand that tradition, but you know that's their loss because I don't know why they don't have those.
0: You know, I wouldn't say that because I was in Hawaii for my honeymoon, and they had all-dressed chips in Hawaii.
1: Well, and there it said you go. On Mark, Hawaii just is like, my, my favorite said, state. Said, so, there you go.
0: It said, just like they have in Canada, and it did not taste the
1: same. Ah, that, uh. that's lame then. Oh well. well, we can grow on this, but I'm—I I'm, mean, that's the whole thing, though. It's like you need something to kind of make, like, turn things into traditions. Um, like even what the M.L.R. did. If you want to do the Vegas weekend, um, you know, people were maybe criticizing the idea of doing it this year, but it's like, you know, if you want to, like, in order, f- like, every sport league and every sport has traditions, um, and sometimes you know, when, and especially for major league rugby, um, it's a, you know, we're in the third year of the league and, you know, sometimes like to do those, it's like, you got to start like making them. Right. So it's like at some point you got to take that leap and do the, make it the first weekend to attempt something. And then hopefully, you know, going forward, it's a, it does well and it's able to kind of take off. And yeah, I'm down for, I'm down for Canada playing a, a, a test match every Halloween. I think that would be a fun way to celebrate the holiday
0: Now we're going into our, our our weekly estimations, our guesses, our mm-hmm. our betting. As it stands right now, I have nineteen points and you have eighteen.
1: Ah, the so Instagram instructor let me down.
0: It did. It did unfortunately.
1: Yeah, it went um, two and but, four. It went two and four. Which...
0: And I, I would have gone perfect if it wasn't for the arrows game. It's a shame. I shouldn't <laughs> have been a coward.
3: Nola yeah, versus
1: was, Utah. Genuinely, no. You had uh, you had oh, Seattle because yeah. I had a Utah, so you would have you lost at least one. If not for that, you would have only lost.
0: Okay, so then we're bo- you're at nineteen, then I'm at eighteen. To so flip that, then.
1: Yeah, there we go. All right. Okay. Um. Sorry. What did you say?
0: Nola First versus match, Utah.
1: Nola versus Utah. All right. Um, well, I thought, um, excuse me, Utah played very well, um, against Seattle, um, obviously super entertaining end to the match there. Um, I think Nola has been a strong team. They've, uh, obviously they've been able to use their scrum strong backline play. Um, they've been rolling. So, um, I think, I think I'm going to take Nola. I think I'm going to take Nola as well. I think
0: that they're, uh, their backs are just starting to get into form now. And I think that they've just got such a strong uh, forward pack that I think that they're just going to bully Utah. Uh, I, I definitely mm. have a little bit more confidence in Utah after last week. Um, but I think I'm going to stick with my choice. Okay, next okay, week, okay. The, the next game is Houston versus New England.
1: Oh, um, yeah, um, yeah. So this is obviously an interesting one. Um, are they both last in their division at this moment? Do you do you have
3: the standings on hand real quick?
1: I'm going to pull it up.
0: Yes, they're both currently in last.
1: All right. Um, well, both both one and four. Both one and four. Well. Wow. Um, all right then. Um, so I mean, honestly, I feel like this is a bit of a toss-up. I don't know if one like I don't know if I'm like staring at it and thinking that one team necessarily does something significantly better than the other. Um, I do like the the Sabre halfback combination. Obviously Ty leader coming back though for the free jacks last week. Um getting another game under his belt and stuff. This will be um I think that like, that'll be good for them as well. Um, they got some guys coming back from injury. I think, um, you know what? I think I am going to take. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with some Eastern Conference supremacy here and go with the New
3: England Free Jacks. You no,
0: know, I think that uh, I think that you're you're probably going to be right, but the part of me. Thinks that Houston is going to come out mean and angry, and I'm going to say that Houston's going to take yeah.
1: the win because they just—I
0: just, yeah, I just think that they—they they were really upset with how the game ended against Austin, and then they're—they're going to they're yeah. have something to prove.
1: Yeah, like I think you know that's kind of the unfortunate thing sometimes is uh, you know, obviously Austin had their struggles last season and. Um, you know, and with going winless and, you know, they come into this year and, you know, they start out, they they start out with a bunch of losses again. And, you know, we all know that we all knew that they weren't going to go winless again this year. It's just, you know, at at some point it's like somebody, somebody has to be on the other end of that win though. And, you know, all the other 11 teams in the league are all just hoping that it's not them. Um, Just so they don't have to, Kind of live with being the trivia question of who, like, who did Austin beat to kind of end their, you know, to end their losing streak, right? And, you know, so I think, I think for that, yeah, I like, I like the idea that Houston will um, see about bouncing back, but, you know, you know, fair play to Austin last week. um, They had a solid game. And, um, but yeah, so I don't know. I'm still going to back the free Jacks here, though.
0: Bulls versus Rudy.
1: Uh Seawolves versus Rooney. Um, so yeah, this is a this is a tough one. I think they Rooney played San Diego very well. Um and yeah, Rooney played San Diego very well. The SeaWolves um the Seawolves have obviously had their struggles this year. Um Ro- Rooney Rooney gets them as the home opener as well. Um I think Seattle doesn't do as well at home as they do at Starfire. Struggling.
3: I'm going to
0: go with the... uh, Oh, this is tough. You know, I I think I'm going to go with the Seawolves. I think maybe that some of their injury problems might be solved. You never really know. And if 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 Pierre Nelson <laughs> is fit and able to come into the lineup I'd be interested to see what he can give them as an option. Yeah. So I think I'm gonna go with the Seawolves. I think
1: that's Yeah. I think I think he still it, has I think he may did he get his visa cleared yet or does he still have to do that? Do you know?
0: I don't know. That's that's the thing, is I, I, I don't even know if he's officially been signed, so I might just be plo- blowing smoke up mm. my rear end.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, I think he has signed. It's just me. I, I think the Seawolves might be just waiting for uh, visa to be the to do the official announcement. Um. Anyways, moving on to the next game.
0: Next game is Colorado versus Old Glory.
1: All right. Um. Old Glory uh seem to be just an absolute anomaly um they are currently second in their division um they have uh i believe they're second yeah second four and one with the worst scrum in the league um so that's just kind of bizarre um they also have yeah that's just that's just very bizarre um i like honestly like like i don't I don't think I've ever seen a team that has a scrum as bad as old glory. that is is constantly winning before. Um, so I feel like, like, I feel like picking against old glory is kind of going against everything that, you know, I've always been like a, a good scrum will like lead you to win. Um, but old glory is proving that that's not necessarily true and even though they have the beast their scrum is still not very good um so i think i'm going i'm um, yeah i still got to go like i feel like i want to go with colorado just because i'm like i don't think they're i don't think they can keep winning with their scrum being like this and that's like the only reason but i'll probably end up but colorado also doesn't have the best scrum either um but they were able to hold on first the arrows who have probably the best scrum in the league and walked away with a victory. So I am, uh, I'm just, I'm going to take Colorado just because I don't, I don't know. I feel like they're old glory scrum. Just I don't know. What do you think here, Dan?
0: No, I, I think that Colorado has just had an unfortunate start to their season. I think they're starting to come into form now, but I also think that Old Glory is kind of working with a little bit of swagger, and I, I'm going to stick with Old Glory. I think that they they can pull out the win. I think that the aggressive forward movement of their their backline is something that I would like to see play against guys like Ranger and Peltzer and Ryberg, and you know they're they've got a strong kicking game. So can they? Yeah. Can they kind of do maybe what the Arrows didn't do? I, I'm excited to see what they can do, so I'm going to go with Old Glory. All right. And the last game is number one in uh, the West versus the second-last team in the in West. A. A. Number, number one. one in your
1: hearts. A.K.A. number one. Number
0: one in your hearts. Austin versus San Diego.
1: Man, I just... I just like... Said, Austin finally gets their first win and the league schedule is like, did you have fun? Cool. Here's the, here's the undefeated San Diego Legion. Um, enjoy this next week. That is your reward for finally getting a win. Um, like, yeah, I feel like, you know, I've said it a bunch before. Um, and, you know, and even I know the Arrows have a bye week doing an Arrows game, but there's still, you have no reason to like the arrows they lost, but I still think for them, you have no reason to bet against them. That in my mind would make sense. And San Diego, still, there's no reason to bet against them. Um, I wish Austin didn't have to play them in their first game after they finally won. Um, but there's there will never be a reason to not bet against San Diego. So San
3: Diego it is. I am
0: going with San Diego as well. I think that's a slam dunk decision. Yeah. For for Austin, they they enjoyed their win with their white cowboy hats, and this is what they get.
1: See, I think so, the, what I've kind of noticed as we've been going on one, those cowboy hats were amazing. Hats. That whole getup that all the players had that was fantastic. Um, but I think the one thing that I've kind of noticed is like going through all of these these games, it's just kind of like realizing like. If I make a pick and the team I pick ends up losing, I kind of go back and be like, hmm, like why did I pick that? But it's like when Toronto lost to Colorado, I was kind of like, I didn't second guess that. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take Toronto against. I'll take Toronto against Rooney next week too. It's, and I think San Diego's the same way. San Diego could lose to the Gilgonis this weekend, and I would wouldn't even be mad if that I lost. I'd just be like, yeah, well obviously you're picking San Diego and next weekend I'd be like, yeah, we're obviously picking them again. if if someone beats them, someone beats them, but like, I'm not going to feel bad about just riding out Toronto and San Diego for the remainder of 2020 here.
0: you called me a coward on Twitter about picking the arrows. So I think you're being a little hypocritical.
1: No, 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 I'm not. not. (laughs) I made my picks that included the Toronto arrows. You then made a video that said, and I believe this is a direct quote, I'm going to pick the opposite of Derek. You did the first game, and then you were like, oh, um, yeah, I'm going to take the arrows as the same pick uh, it as It just me. happened
0: I, to be the, they were the second game.
1: Yeah, I know, the second I know. game that but it also, so, Yes, but that also meant that in, that was in close proximity to when you said, I'm going to pick the opposite of what Derek did, so I'm not mad at you for picking the arrows. I'm mad at you for backing out on the "I'm going to pick the opposite of Derek." That's what I was chirping you for.
0: It has From now to do on, with folks, the arrows.
1: It's nothing to do with the if, arrows. If
0: you, if you say, "I'm going to do something," Derek needs it to be done to a T. Otherwise, he will chirp you on yeah Twitter. But so we're I'm gonna just, end. Just, we're gonna end this episode tonight. You would have
1: had a better record. if right this episode. You just did what you said you were gonna do, or this? saw uh, this. Yeah, it's because you just. You just.
0: I'm a flip flopper You just have to say That's you were gonna do, do what you were gonna do. I live my life by flip flopping. That is how I live my life, and you yeah. will leave me alone. So we're going to end that episode. This episode tonight, guys. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to uh, catch up on some of our, our other episodes, go to Rouge Rugby uh, on Twitter. And uh, on there is a link to our anchor.fm page that has all of the places where you can listen to our podcast and all the archived episodes. So thank you very much for listening. And uh, hopefully after a, a wrestle bye week, uh, the arrows will come back firing.